I was picked up from a heavily defended airport in an armoured land cruiser, handed a steel helmet, a flak jacket, and I was immediately given a briefing on what to do if we came under fire. I was accompanied by armed guards in a convoy, driven through checkpoints, manned by armed soldiers pointing fiery, sticky things, and delivered to a fortified compound guarded by machine guns, five-metre-high walls, barbed wire, and I felt like I was in a war zone. Well, you may not feel like southwest London today is a war zone, but we are in a war zone. It's a spiritual war we're in. And unlike me in Baghdad, we're not just observers, but actually combatants in that war with battles raging every day. So today I want to talk to you about how to win those battles that we're in. And uh, let's see what Paul has to say about that from Ephesians. But before I get into that, let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you have defeated evil in your son, Jesus. Teach us more about how to be good soldiers so that we may live our lives to your praise and glory. Amen. So we're in Ephesians. We're on page 1178. 1178. And we're reading from Ephesians chapter 6 and from verse 10 onwards. Page 1178. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armour of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armour of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore. Having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we're coming to uh, the end of our series in Ephesians, as Nick has said. And we've seen that it's been a book about God's people, the church. Paul began by setting out the big picture. God's purposes conceived before the foundation of the world. 
creating a new community, both Jews and Gentiles, all included on an equal footing, co-sharers of the same promise. And Paul has applied that in practical instructions about how to live a life worthy of their calling, demonstrating unity, rejoicing in the diversity of their gifts, building up their common life together, a life of true righteousness and submitting to one another in their relationships. Well, unity, righteous living, harmony, submission under the headship of Christ, a beautiful ideal, a glorious and blemish-free bride for Christ, as Paul put it. What can be so hard? Well, we all know from our experience of life that the reality is tough. And Paul ends this letter by acknowledging that it is a struggle, a battle. In verse 12, Paul describes it as wrestling. And the picture is of soldiers in hand-to-hand conduct. Yes, it's that tough. So let's see what Paul has to say about how to win those battles. I realise I should have clicked all the way through this. The first thing he says is to know your enemy. And we see this is in verses 10 to 12. I've just uh, finished a book uh, about a guy called Olev Gordievsky. He's a colonel, was a colonel in the KGB, the Soviet Union's intelligence service. And he became chief of the KGB station in London. But he was also a British spy. And the book described the world of undercover operatives, of of dead letter drops and brush-past transfers of information. And the big problem was you didn't know who was on your side and who was the enemy. Was she an agent or was she a double agent? Was your contact going to pass on those secrets to your side or was she going to betray you to the other? And it was crucial to Gordievsky's survival that he knew who the enemy really was. But Paul's very clear about who our enemy is. In verse 12 we read, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now Ephesus was a city in which demonic powers were visible, Paul's readers would have at least heard about the incidents recorded for us in Acts chapter 19 of the Jewish exorcist in Ephesus who, although not knowing Christ themselves, called upon the name of Jesus to try and dismiss an evil spirit. But they themselves were overpowered and they fled in panic, naked and wounded. And that passage in Acts goes on to say, and a number of those who had practised magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. The Ephesians had practised magic arts before they became Christians. Now, we may not be as familiar with such manifestations of evil, but that doesn't mean that we're not in a spiritual battle. Paul is very clear here that the enemy comprises the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The enemy is not flesh and blood. It's not other humans. And if you think about it, this is staggering for Paul to say as he sits there chained to a Roman soldier. You'd expect him to say that the enemy is the Roman state who kept him in prison 
or maybe the Jewish authorities who put him there. And similarly for us, it's easy, isn't it, to think that our enemies are people. They're the atheistic thinkers like Richard Dawkins, or they're the critics in the media who like to challenge the church's relevance. Or perhaps they're someone like Ishmael Haniyeh, the leader of Hamas, Hamas that tortured, raped, beheaded and slaughtered hundreds of Jews just a couple of weeks ago. Surely these people are our enemies. Indeed, I'd want to say that they're certainly not innocent of their actions. But Paul would say, look behind that. Look what drives these people and you will see spiritual forces of evil. Forces who are powerful. Paul calls them rulers and authorities. Forces who are cunning. Paul writes of the schemes of the devil in verse 11. And perhaps the devil's craftiest trick is to persuade people he's not real. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones famously wrote in 1976, I'm certain that one of the main causes of ill state of the church today is that the fact that the devil is being forgotten. All is attributed to us, to people. We've all become so psychological in our attitude and thinking, and we are ignorant of this great objective fact, the being, the existence of the devil, the adversary, the accuser, and his fiery darts. So that is our enemy. But if the powers of darkness are so powerful and evil and cunning, what can I do, pathetic and weak as I am? And the answer is in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Only the power of God can save us. Only the power of God which raised Christ from the dead and enthroned him in the heavenly places. And that same power has raised us from the rule of death and sin and enthroned us with him. Jesus has won the ultimate victory. And we continue to battle on, but in knowledge that the war is won. And so verse 13, therefore, therefore, take up the whole armour of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Paul tells us four times in this passage to ensure that we stand or withstand. In the military sense, the word stand means to hold one's ground, not to run away. We're to stand firm in the Lord. Well, that's a good theory, Paul. Easy to say, be strong or stand firm. But how do I do that? And Paul tells us, verse 11, how to do that. Put on the whole armour of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And so put on the whole armour of God. Now, during the pandemic, we knew who the enemy was, didn't we? There's a picture of him. But we weren't quite so clear about how to defend ourselves, were we? Would this really make me invincible? Well, Paul is describing a defensive system that's much more secure than my mask. He says, take up the whole armour, literally the panoplia, the full battle armour of a Roman soldier. Now, you'll be familiar with the image of a Roman Roman soldier. It's usually some heroic guy like Russell Crowe. But actually, I prefer this rather more prosaic picture, this weed 
this weed here that looks a bit more like me. And as we enter our own... No, okay, it doesn't look much like me. But as we enter into our own spiritual battles, I wonder whether we're missing any particular piece of individual armour in this panoplia, this whole armour, whether we have any chinks. So let's have a quick look at the armour as described by Paul. And I mean mean quick, Dr Lloyd-Jones, his exposition of these few verses runs to 736 pages. So we will will be quick. Verse 14, having fastened the belt of truth, that's the first piece of equipment, the belt, actually more like underwear, not really visible, but quite essential. Without a belt, my trousers might fall down, which would be a bit embarrassing. But without a belt, the soldier's tunic would be open, leaving him vulnerable. It held his weapons, including his sword, much more critical than my, than my wardrobe malfunction. The Christian's belt is truth, Paul says. The truth is the revelation of God in Christ and the scriptures. But here, Paul might mean the truth, the lowercase t, emphasizing the Christian's requirement to be truthful and to be honest. We don't have to choose between these two arguments, actually, whether it's truth of doctrine or truth uh, of uh, our own speech. We cannot have one without the other. And truth undergirds the other pieces of armour. So have you got your belt on? Do you have truth firmly understood and lived out with integrity? Because that's the first piece of armour. Number two... In verse 14, we still have, it's still in verse 14, we have the breastplate of righteousness. That's the righteousness we have in Christ. We are made righteous in the eyes of God by grace through faith in Christ crucified. We're clothed with righteousness. So we stand accepted before God, not condemned. So do you have the breastplate firmly attached? Can you deflect those attacks of the devil that would have you feeling guilty? Accused of sin and deserving of death. Paul wrote elsewhere in Romans, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We need the breastplate of the righteousness given to us by Christ. Third on the list of shoes, you can see them here. They were leather sandals with studded soles and they were tied to the legs tightly with straps. They equipped the soldier for long marches, provided a firm footing. And Paul says in verse 15 that our sandals, our shoes, are the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In fact, the Good News Bible translates this, the shoes are the readiness to announce the good news of peace. So our defense here against the wiles of the devil is to be ready to proclaim the gospel which brings peace between God and man and man and fellow man. As Peter writes, always be prepared to make a defence to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. So I ask you, can you explain the gospel? Are you prepared to explain the good news that is God's power to redeem? Be prepared to proclaim the gospel. It's an act in our spiritual war. So I would challenge you, Find a friend, find a friend 
and explain the gospel to that friend. See if you can do it, give you confidence to do it. So number four in our kit list is in verse 16. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. This word for shield, it's the oblong shield that you see there. It's not the small round one. It's an oblong one. It's made of wood and iron and animal hide. And it's designed specifically to put out the dangerous arrows dipped in pitch which were set ablaze before being fired. So the devil is firing off darts of, arrow, uh, of accusations to make us doubt. But the shield of faith extinguishes those fiery darts. Faith takes hold of the promises of God in his word and, desca- and declares such accusations false. False because my sins have been removed by Christ. My sins have been washed clean by the work of Jesus on the cross. I rather like the, the picture of the Roman testudo, the tortoise, illustrating what, when the fellowship of God gets together, each person locking their shield together in one unified body, they're even stronger. The shield of faith. The fifth item is in verse 17, the helmet of salvation. God's saving power. God's saving power is our only defence. Charles Hodge, the 19th century theologian, puts it like this, much better than I can. That which adorns and protects the Christian, which enables him to hold up his head with confidence and joy, is the fact he is saved. So the simple question here is, do you know you are saved? Do you have confidence and joy in your salvation? The sixth item of armour is in verse 17. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. This sword is the Roman soldier's short stabbing sword. It's designed for close hand-to-hand combat, up close in the melee of battle. The sword is the word of God, Paul says, which is spirit-inspired, and it's also spirit-delivered. The Holy Spirit uses the word to cut through people's defences, to prick consciences, to awaken hearts to what God has to say. The writer to the Hebrews puts it, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So the question, do you wield the sword? Do you read, learn, memorize? Do you use the word of God in dealing with your own struggles? Do you quote the Bible in your discussions with others? Do you know it well enough? So that's it, six pieces of armor. God supplies them. It's up to us to put them on. Every individual piece of armor, something we are to do. The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes, which are the readiness given by the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And finally, Paul sets out what we need to do as we deploy these weapons. 
And it's to pray. It's to pray comprehensively. We see this in verses 18 to 20. It's a spiritual battle we are in, and prayer is our entry into that battle. Equipping ourselves with God's armour is not to be done formulaically, but in dependence upon God in prayer. And that prayer is all-encompassing. Four times Paul uses the word all. We're to pray at all times, not just when we feel about it, not just when we've got nothing better to do. It's to be a priority for us. We're to pray in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. And I think that means all kinds of prayer and requests for all kinds of needs in all kinds of ways. We're to keep alert with all perseverance, Paul says. Don't give up. We're to keep alert because the devil is always on the prowl like a hungry lion. And we're to make supplication for all the saints, not just our families, not just the folk we know well, the people in our immediate circle, but all the saints, those persecuted elsewhere in the world, those saints in the general synod debating difficult issues, those saints out there and those saints in here that we find difficult to get on with, all saints. And the application is clear, isn't it? Prayer is a priority for us to keep standing firm, to keep exhibiting those behaviours that make us church, that help us exercise the variety of gifts, in building unity, in developing healthy relationships between husband and wife, as we saw last week. All of this needs to be underpinned by prayer. And is this our pattern of prayer? Is this our pattern at all times with all kinds of prayer, alert, persevering for all the saints? Prayer in our own times of quiet. And just as Hema encouraged us last week, praying corporately, lifting our shields in the tortoise. Now, I feel pretty bad here because it's somewhat hypocritical of me to encourage you to join the prayer warriors like Hema on Tuesday mornings at 7.30 when I don't, as I'm on the M3 at the time. It's it's hypocritical of me to ask you to join prayer in the midweek growth groups when circumstances have prevented me doing so in recent months. Nevertheless, I do encourage you to join in prayer together. It's so much easier praying together and I found that to my cost, as I'm now unable to meet in those, ter- in those midweek meetings. I've really, really missed it. Really missed it. So I would encourage you, do pray together and pray in your own times of quiet, at all times, with all kinds of prayer, persevering for all the saints. So let's pray now as I close. Father God, thank you that you have won the victory. Thank you that you help us to stand firm in the strength of your might. And so help us to put on this armour, which is your armour. Help us to pray at all times with perseverance. And help us to serve you and each other for the building up of your church in this place and elsewhere. Amen.